right, well, good morning, West Ridge. How are we? This side of the, the room is doing awesome. Um, I'll, I'll teach over here the whole time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, a couple things before we jump in. Uh, yes, my face is very sunburned, um, just in case you were wondering. I was at the Georgia game yesterday. Uh, my, my good friend, Matt Moody, uh, blessed me and, and brought me along to the game. And uh, if you watched the game, you know it was closer than it should have been, but it's okay. Because the dogs, they are SEC East champions, and uh, that's all that matters. So, um, go dogs! Uh, I didn't hear that. Uh, the, the other thing that I wanted to mention to you is this. In case you, you weren't here last week, um, we announced that beginning January the 1st, um, I am going to be here serving this church as the new pastor. Um, Now, I, I want to I say something to you guys and brag on you a little bit, because last week when we were here and announced that, um, man, you guys just embraced us, encouraged us. My wife was here, and I asked her after we left what, what she thought, and um, she said a couple of things that really just struck me that I wanted to share with you guys. First off, she said those were the warmest, most welcoming, friendliest people I've ever met in my entire life, and uh, I had friends here last week who said, that's not just because she is Mrs. Griffin, like they were that way to us as well. I had visitors in the last service come up to me and say, it's not just because they were your wife or your friends, they were like that to us as well. Um, So I say, church, you're doing an awesome job. Keep loving people. Um, Second thing, my wife said, and I love this, this. she said, uh, everybody seems so excited to be there. And, uh, man, I, I'm going to tell you what, what you guys did last week for my wife, I, I can't, I mean, it's invaluable, you know, for her, this is a brand new beginning in a lot of ways, and uh, I just want to let you know that you brought a lot of security for her um, in the way that you encouraged us, welcomed us, were friendly to us, so thank you so much, and uh, in my mind, January 1st cannot get here soon enough, so I'm very excited to get started uh, l- let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Um, as you're flipping there, uh, I'll, I'll remind you a couple of things I told you last Sunday. Uh, I told you I grew up in a church where we were always told to stay away from certain kinds of people, right? Um, and the certain kinds of people we were told to stay away from were sinful people. People who didn't love Jesus, people who were out in the world, kind of doing what they wanted, living for themselves, doing sinful things. And my church always told us that if we hung out with those people, chances were their bad company was going to corrupt our good character, my good character as a follower of Jesus. Now, I bought into that for a long time, as maybe some of you guys have done as well, um, built up walls so that I didn't have anything really to do with sinful people, people who didn't love Jesus. Um, The thing that messed it all up for me, and I told you this last week, was this book. Was this book. Um, I got this book out, and I started reading it for myself. Um, I, I wanted to know if what those guys who were standing on stages, I wanted to know if what they were telling me was true. So I got this book out, I started reading it for myself, and as I started reading it for myself, everything that they had got me to buy into about what it looked like to to be a follower of Jesus started kind of getting shaken and a little messed up. And, And here's why, because again, and I told you this last Sunday as well, 
time and time and time and time again in the scriptures, I found Jesus and his friends hanging out with the very same people that my church was telling me I needed to stay away from. And, and not only that, but there were several times in the scriptures where Jesus went out of his way and broke down religious and cultural walls simply to engage those people. Now, the story out of Luke chapter 7 we're going to talk about this morning, we find Jesus doing this very thing. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along up here on the screen as we read. Here we go. Here's, Here's what it says, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he came to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, before we keep reading, I, I want to point out some things that we've got to understand we can't miss from this story, okay? Um, here's Jesus like we find him often in the scriptures with a huge crowd of people following him, right? These people want to see what Jesus is going to say next, what he's going to do next. And he's traveled south from Capernaum, Nazareth. He's coming up to this city called Nain. And he and the crowd that's following him are getting ready to enter the city gate. Well, about time they get to the city gate, there is a funeral procession coming out of the city. Now, the Bible tells us it's for um, a man. We don't know this man's name, um, but we do know a few things about him. And and here's what we know. We know that this guy whose funeral was happening this day, he would have died that very same day. Okay, back in this time um, and in this culture, if a person died, their body was immediately prepared for burial that same day. Everybody in the town where that person lived would drop what they were doing and they would carry the person's body outside the gate of the city to lay that person to rest. Now, we also know that the man who died, his mom um, was a widow and this was her only son. Now, I I want us to stop for a minute. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of this woman, okay? So let me ask you this question. Have you ever lost somebody that you love? Like you just love dearly. Do you remember that day you found out they were gone? Like maybe it was a phone call. Uh, maybe you were at home with them. Maybe you were at a hospital with them. You, you remember what that moment felt like, right? I mean, you can only imagine how this woman is grieving. I mean, we meet her on the day her son has died. Her only son. Also, Her husband, we know because the Bible tells us she was a widow. He's gone already. He's passed on before the son died. Now, this had some huge implications for a woman during this time, and here's why. Because women, they didn't work. They didn't earn an income. They didn't own property. There was no government agency that had any kind of plan for widowed women women during this time, okay? So I want to make this clear. This woman's son's gone, her husband's gone. There is no man in her life to protect her or care for her anymore. So in this woman's mind, she's probably feeling and and experiencing these emotions and these thoughts of, what am I going to do? Where am I going to sleep? How am I going to eat tomorrow? 
Like this lady in her brain is probably going to be like a lot of other widows during this time. She's going to be forgotten. She's going to be homeless. All this is weighing on her on top of the grief she's feeling over losing her son that day. I mean, this is a very hopeless and hurting woman. And Jesus comes in the picture at this very same time. And and here's what the Bible says in verse 13. Here's how Jesus responded. The Bible says, When the Lord saw her, when he laid eyes on her, he had compassion on her. Now, I want you to understand this morning. This wasn't a moment for Jesus where he looked at this woman and he goes, wow, I feel so sorry for her. I would hate to be in her shoes. Man, that stinks. I hope somebody, you know, some other guy, close family friend will take care of her. Hope she's going to be okay. This wasn't an I feel sorry moment in Jesus' life. For Jesus, this was a moment of compassion where he felt this woman's pain. I mean, he put himself in her shoes and he felt what she was feeling to the point that he couldn't just stand there and do nothing, right? He felt compassion in a way that compelled him to take action. And you see the action that he takes in the next couple of verses. Jesus walks up to her and he says, listen, don't weep. Don't weep. This isn't an insensitive statement. It's not a, um, wow, Jesus is mean. Don't cry. Your son just died. Jesus is saying to this woman, listen, I see your pain, I feel your pain, don't worry, don't cry, I'm getting ready to do something. And the Bible says that Jesus, he walks over and he touches the beer. This was like a wooden plank. Um, it, It served as an open coffin for the bodies of the dead during this time. It's what they would transport the bodies on. So Jesus walks over and he touches this and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Church, aren't you glad we serve a God who holds the keys to life and death and there is nothing impossible for our God. Jesus according to religion, according, according to culture, should have never done what he did. Should have never done it. And, and here's why. Because according to Jewish culture, according to Jewish religion, a person was never supposed to touch the body of a dead person. Okay? And the reason why was simple. Because if you touched a dead person, a dead body, you were made, according to Jewish law, and you can read about it in Numbers 19, you were made ceremonially unclean for seven days. Which simply means... You couldn't go to the synagogue to worship. You couldn't do what we're doing this morning. Um, You couldn't go and make sacrifices for your sin. This was a big deal. So I want you to get this picture. Jesus sees this woman hopeless, hurting, in need, so moved to compassion that he can't just stand by and watch this thing unfold, but he is so moved that he has to take action even in spite of what religion and culture says he shouldn't do. This is the God that we serve. Church, I want to ask you a question this morning. When you see hopeless and hurting people in this community and in the world around you, are you moved to compassion? Now, I'm not asking when you see hopeless and hurting people, do you see them and go, wow, I feel sorry for them. 
Hope things turn around. Hope things get better. I'm asking you, when you see those people, do you feel their pain in such a way where you go, I can't just stand by and do nothing? Like, I've got to do something for them. And do you feel that compassion in such a way that you say, religion might have walls, culture might have walls, but I'm willing to tear them down simply to engage that person. Listen to me, you know, you know who hated what Jesus did on the earth? The religious people. That's why they killed him. They hated that he broke their rules to engage hopeless and hurting people. Church, listen to me. I don't care what religious people outside the walls of this place say about us if we're willing to go engage the hopeless and hurting of this community and this world. Man, we are here to please God, not people. And God is pleased when we walk outside the walls of this church and we love people like Jesus loves people. Are you moved by compassion when you see the hopeless and the hurting in this world? Um, I, I got a chance a few years back to go to Africa. And uh, I went with some of our high school students who had started an organization called Dry Tears. And um, they had come up with this idea that they were going to travel the country. They were going to raise money and they were going to put water wells in Africa um, for people who didn't have clean water. So we traveled to Burkina Faso together and for a whole week just went village to village to village to village. And we met with pastors. We met with community leaders to talk about their needs and what we could do to help. Well, I remember specifically this one village called Kira, um, and it was in that village that I met a man named Pastor Jacques. And Pastor Jacques, we showed up, and he embraced us and welcomed us, and he wanted to take us on a walk through his community, through his village, and just show us how people were living and talk to us about the need there. They had two water wells, both of them broken, um, and so women were traveling miles on foot to go get water every day for their families. And so... We walked through this village, and we started with just a few of us. Um, by the end of our walk, when we had made it back around to Pastor Jacques' church, there were literally hundreds of children and their families standing there with us. We, we just picked them up along the way. Some of them had never seen white people before, um, so it was just fun for them. Like, dude, it'd be like us seeing a purple guy, right? Like, I've never seen that. I'm going to hang out and see what these people are doing here. So they follow us. I remember getting back to the church and standing there, Pastor Jacques is standing with all of his people from his village in the background, and he looks at us Americans, and he made a statement that shook me, that I will never forget. And he said, listen, he said, we're here, and we have no voice. We don't have water, our kids are starving, people are dying, we have no voice. And then he pointed at us, and he said, you are our voice. You are our voice. And I just remember in that moment, my heart being so moved by compassion that I, I, I said, man, I can't stand here and just feel sorry. I've got to go back home. I've got to do something. So I remember getting back home and looking at our students at Westridge and saying, man, we've got to do something. And we're going to raise money. And we're going to put in wells. And um, in the past couple of years, we've raised with high school kids enough money to put two water wells in Burkina Faso. And I remember looking at our kids and, and starting um, what I call the Voice of Hope campaign, where I challenged our high school kids to adopt through Compassion International a, a kid in Africa for 38 bucks a month where that kid would get clean water, shelter, food, clothing, and would get a chance to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. 
is your heart moved to compassion when you see the hopeless and the hurting in this world? Um, I, I'll bring it home. How about that? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I'm at Kroger, just right down the street. And I'm walking in my car. Uh, I went grocery shopping right after I left work so I didn't see my wife, my, my little girl, all day. Wanted to get home. Um, walking to my car, and here's a lady in the parking lot who is visibly shaken. I mean, she's crying, and she's, you know, I mean, she's just shaken. And, and have you ever had that moment where you look over to see somebody, um, and you catch eyes with them, right? And you know, okay, I'm not getting out of this now. Like, I'm about to have a conversation, right? <laughs> well, I just remember, I catch eyes with this woman, and she starts walking toward me. And my first reaction, I'm being honest, I'm human, was, I'm tired, it's been a long day, I want to see my wife and my girl, I don't know what's about to happen here, but... God, let's make it quick, right? <laughs> this woman comes over and she starts telling me that she's traveled all the way from LaGrange um, to come see her grandfather who was in uh, Kennestone Hospital dying. It was her last chance to see him. Um, she had driven up there and made it maybe 20 minutes back from the hospital before she ran out of gas um, in a Kroger parking lot. She'd been there the whole day no idea how she was going to get home. And she's looking at me going, can you help me? I'm sorry, I don't want to be a burden. I'm not trying to rob you. Can you help me? I said, listen, I, I don't have any money. I don't have any cash, but I'll tell you what I'll do. We'll get your car over to the gas pump and I'll fill your gas tank up for you. In that moment, I listened to this woman's story and even in spite of my stubbornness and my, man, I just want to get out of here and go home, my heart was moved. My heart was moved. And it's, man, I can't feel sorry for her. I have money in the bank so I can take care of this lady. I've got to do something. And so I go over and I swipe my card in the card reader and I pump her gas for her. And she's standing there, man, just shocked that somebody would help her. And she said, God bless you. And I said, no, God bless you. I said, I want you to know the reason I'm doing this is because God loves you. And I said, man, I, I'm a pastor down the street and I would not be doing my job as a Christ follower if I didn't help you. And I said, I want you to know that this is a blessing from God, not from me. He loves you. And I got her name and told her I was going to pray for her and her family. And uh, I'll probably never see her again. But here was a woman in need, heart moved to compassion, had to do something for her. And I don't say that to, to be prideful, build myself up. I just say that to go, church, are we willing to do that? Are we willing, as the body of Jesus, as people who've been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, are we willing to have our hearts so moved to compassion for the hopeless and hurting of this world that we take action even if there are cultural and religious walls that say we shouldn't? I just want to remind you that we serve a God who has done this very thing for us. Isn't that good news? Like we serve a God right now in this moment, in this place, who doesn't just feel sorry for hopeless and helpless people. We serve a God who takes action so that hopeless and helpless people can be restored again. This is the good news of Jesus, right? This is why Jesus came to this earth. Aren't you glad this morning that as we gather as a church, we get to remember that we serve a God who didn't just sit in heaven and look at all of us as a bunch of misfit screw-ups and go, man, I feel sorry for them. 
They shouldn't have chosen sin over me. Hope things work out well. Man, I feel bad. I would hate to be in their position. But we have a God who looked at us and said, Man, I love them, and they can't change the situation, and they can't do anything to save themselves. And his heart was so moved to compassion that he put himself in our shoes, wrapped himself in our skin, and came and lived a life so that we could be rescued through his death. Guys, that's a great, great message. And then he rose from the grave, man, to give us everything we'll ever need. Guys, this is why we engage the hopeless and the helpless and the people in need in our community. It's because God has done this very thing for us. And out of our love for him, we engage other people. And we don't care what anybody says about us in order to do that. Um, Just in case you you hear that and you go, so I'm supposed to just do it because Jesus did it for me. Um, Yes, yes. But Jesus was also very clear through the scriptures. And he told us and reminded us, you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing this. I want you to flip over a few pages in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um, I'll show you what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we find a lawyer coming and asking Jesus a question. Um, are, are there any lawyers in here this morning? No lawyers so we can all make jokes? Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, th- th- this lawyer, like lawyers are very good at, Um, comes to pin Jesus in. He wants to ask him some questions and mess Jesus up with his questions. And so he he comes and he asks Jesus, he says, hey, uh, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds and he goes, why don't you tell me? What does the Bible say? And this lawyer says, well, uh, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, it sounds like you got it pretty figured out. And then the guy goes, well, let me ask you another question, Jesus. And Jesus says, by all means, go ahead. Um, And the lawyer says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And in that moment, Jesus responds with, uh, to what some of us will be a very familiar story. And here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 30. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and who beat him and who departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here's the picture. Two very good, very moral, very religious, very knowledgeable, very churchy men encounter somebody hopeless, hurting, in need. This is what's going on. I mean, this is a a priest in the Jerusalem temple, a Levite who would have been an assistant to the priest in the Jewish temple. They see a guy in need, robbed, beaten, half dead on the side of the road, and the Bible says they come, see him, and they pass by on the other side. Good men, according to culture, according to religion. Good men. They leave him there. Now, I think these two men for us represent two attitudes that prevent maybe some of us in the room from engaging hopeless and hurting people. One of the attitudes is this, is just an attitude of busyness. Listen, I'll be the first to say, being a pastor, um, it's a busy, busy job, okay? Um, It is a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job. It's busy. I get it. I get it. 
what it's like to be busy with churchy religious stuff, all right? Well, these guys, I think one of the attitudes we see in this story is they come up to this hopeless helpless man in need, and part of their problem was they didn't have that guy on their calendar for that day. These were busy fellas. Church, is it not true that some of us fail to engage hopeless and helpless people simply because we're too busy? Right? We got our calendars planned out. We got life planned out. We got our weeks planned out. We got a job. We got a family. Um, we encounter that person who needs hope and needs help. And we see them and we go, oh, but I got so much to do. If they were on my agenda, on the calendar, it would be different. But I have so much to do. I'm so busy. Somebody else will take care of them. Uh, I want to remind us this morning that taking care of and extending a hand of grace and love to hopeless and helpless people, church, that is never a waste of time. No matter how busy your life is, that is never a waste of time. I couldn't help but think earlier when we were singing that song, How Great Thou Art. You're going to hear me just so you know as your pastor talk a lot about this because it's something that's changed my life. There's coming a day where we are all going to see Jesus face to face. And man, that is so good. Here's what I can promise you though. In that moment when we lay our eyes on him, There's not a single one of us that's going to look at our calendars and go, man, I didn't get all that stuff done I wanted to do. But I can guarantee you that there are going to be many of us, myself included, that are going to go, I wish I could have more time for hopeless and helpless people. I wish I would have done more for hopeless and helpless people. Anytime you feel like you're too busy for those people who need the hope and the love of Jesus, I want you to think about that day And ask yourself, am I really too busy for this person who needs hope? None of us are ever too busy. It's never a waste of time. Um, These guys represent another attitude that maybe some of us uh, are dealing with right now. And it's just an attitude of indifference. An attitude of indifference. It kills me to read this story and to think that they were two good men who walked up and laid eyes on this man. Right? They didn't just pass by him. They walked to where he was, laid their eyes on him, saw his need, and left. They were indifferent. I would hate to think that some of us in the room this morning, no hopeless people, no helpless people. Maybe they're in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, or in our families, and we see them, and our attitude toward them is indifference. Right? We brush by them knowing what they need, and their most desperate need is Jesus, and we walk by them going, ah, just indifferent. Church, if you're at that place now, or if you ever get to that place, here's what you do. You hit your knees, and you cry out to God, and you ask him to break your heart for what breaks his. You know what breaks the heart of God? Hopeless, helpless people who don't know his son, Jesus. That's what breaks his heart. Guys, if if you are experiencing indifference in your life toward hopeless people, something needs to change. Something needs to change. Um, There's a third guy in the story. There's a third guy in the story, and we find him in verse 33. Here's what Jesus says. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came to where he was, and when he saw him, what did he do? He had what? Compassion. Compassion. So the Samaritan comes up to this guy, and he sees him, and he doesn't go, oh, I feel sorry for that dude, would hate to be him. That stinks, he's pretty bloodied. Wow, I bet that hurts. No, the Samaritan comes up and he sees the guy, and he doesn't just feel sorry for him. He feels his pain, puts himself in his shoes, and he says, I can't just walk by him. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Now, I need you to know, church, back in this time, this was unheard of. Samaritans and Jews hated each other's guts. They didn't help each other. They actually avoided one another. I mean, if a Samaritan happened upon a Jewish guy, beaten up, robbed, dying on the side of the road, it, it would have typically been a moment where that guy would have gone, awesome, got what he deserved. Hope he dies right here on the side of the road, right? That's kind of how the Samaritan should have responded. But how does he respond? He's moved to compassion, and he takes action. And the Bible goes on and says, man, he went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured oil and wine on the man. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. This was two days worth of wages. So think about what you make in two days. And the Samaritan hands two days worth of wages to the innkeeper and said, listen, I've got to leave for a little while. While I'm gone, you take care of this man. And if you spend more than I gave you, man, I'll pay you back when I get back to take care of him and to check up and to see how he's doing. Now, after Jesus finishes the story, he looks at the lawyer and he says, okay, now you tell me who the neighbor in the story is. Who's the neighbor? And the lawyer says back to Jesus, the one who showed him mercy. And here's what Jesus says, just in case we miss it. He goes, okay, you go and do likewise. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. Again, in the scriptures, we find a God who models for us what it looks like to engage hopeless and helpless people. And he modeled it for us best by wrapping himself in human flesh and coming to rescue us as those people. And then time and time again, we read story after story of him doing the same for other people who need hope. And then Jesus says, now you go out into the world as my followers and you do what I've done for you. You go and you do it. I want to close um, by pointing something out from Luke 7, again, from the very end of that story. You don't have to go back there. After Jesus heals the man's son, raises him from the dead, here's what the Bible says. It says, all the people there were seized by fear. They were seized by fear, and they glorified God. And the Bible says news about Jesus spread throughout all Judea and the whole country church, when we engage hopeless and helpless people and extend to them the hope of Jesus Christ and lives start being changed, spiritually dead people start being raised back to life again. Here's what happens. People watching are seized by the greatness and the bigness of God in such a way that they give him glory and they talk about Jesus and they forget about us. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Church, don't you want to be that church in this community that when people think about us, they go, man, God is doing something. God's doing something there. 
And I, I can't even give credit to those people because they could have never pulled that off. Like, I've got to just glorify God because that has to be Him. Like, don't you want people to think about this church here in Cartersville? And their first thought when they hear Westridge Cartersville is Jesus is at work there. Jesus is alive there. Those people love Jesus and they love other people like Jesus loves other people. I want to tell you, man, that's why my wife and I, that's why we're here. It's because we want to be a part of a church like that. We want to be a part of a church that loves Jesus because we understand he first loved us. And we want to be a part of a church that runs out the walls of the church to engage those who desperately need hope. Guys, I promise, man, if we do that, people will give God glory for the unexplainable and unimaginable things that are taking place here in this church. We are sitting on the edge of something that I think is going to be amazing here in this community. And I'm honored that God brought us here to be a part of it. And I hope that you're honored that God brought you here to be a part of it. Here's the thing. We can't just sit around and talk about it. We've got to walk out of this place and put our faith into action. Faith without works is dead. I don't want to be a part of something that just full of a bunch of dead faith. Let's go out. Let's love Jesus. Let's love people like Jesus has loved us. I, I want to do this in closing. I just want us to take a moment and to pray that God would move our hearts to compassion for the helpless and the hopeless in our community, in our city, our world. Um, I don't know if it's busy. I don't know if it's indifference. I don't know what it is. Um, but I, I would just encourage you, whatever it is in your life, pray right now in this moment against that. Ask God to help you break down those walls. If you're worried about what religious people say about you, um, pray against that. <laughs> If you're worried about what culture says, you shouldn't be hanging out with that kind of person, pray against that. Pray against that. The good news of Jesus unites us. No matter who we are, where we've come from, what color our skin is, how much money we make. Jesus Christ, we're one family under his name. I want you to pray against those things, those walls that prevent your heart from being moved by compassion for the people who desperately need hope in this world. So, I just want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give you a moment to pray for those things. And I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for the opportunity and privilege to be here in this place this morning. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes all this possible. Father, right now, I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts to compassion for the people in our city and in our world who desperately need the hope, the love, and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this would be a church, God, that is known for our love for Jesus and our love for people. God, guard us against religion. Guard us against that mindset that says we're supposed to go out here and love other people out of guilt or out of wondering if we're pleasing God. Help us, God, to just understand that you've called us to go love people like you've loved us, and it's that simple. God, you love us, and you've rescued us. God, help us 
to live with that mindset every day and to share it with others. God, whatever culture says, I pray you break those walls down. There will be no dividing lines between us and anybody else. But I pray that we would really believe that Jesus is for every single person who doesn't know him. God, my prayer for this church is that you would use us in unexplainable, unimaginable ways for your glory, for your namesake, for your renown. God, we don't care if anybody remembers us. We don't care if anybody knows the name Westridge. What we want is people to know the name of Jesus and the hope that he offers. So God, use this church for that end. We love you and we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. One thing before you go, if you're here this morning, um, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're checking a church thing out for the first time. Um, you have questions. You need prayer. Uh, I would encourage you to do a couple things. You can find one of our pastors here. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you. Um, or you can go out to the help center on the way out. We've got some great volunteers out there that would love to talk with you, pray with you, um, tell you more about what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. So uh, thanks for being here this morning. Hey, I want you to do me a favor. Invite somebody back with you um, next week. We're going to close this series out talking about becoming bold revolutionaries in our world for the sake of the gospel. So be here um, before next Sunday, though, hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Um, don't eat too much. And uh, re remember to be thankful for, uh, for Jesus above all else, all right? Love you guys. We'll see you soon.